0: But it says in verse 6 about Judas, he said not that he cared for the poor. You know, most people who criticize about how money spent give very little to begin with anyway. It's been my observation over the years. But because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein, and then said Jesus, leave her alone against the day of my burying, have she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not. Always, well, there's some truths here that I want us to focus our thoughts and hearts on this morning, and it's really some truths about worship. I am so excited about what God is doing in our church. I don't know about you, church family, but I'm so thankful that the Lord brought Rex Looney to our church, and and I, I just this man is just a blessing to me, and I believe we're entering into a new era of worship. And I want to, I believe as pastor, it's my responsibility to help us define the theological framework, at least, for the context of our worship. And I am so excited about what I believe God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And it's just fun to come and worship the Lord and hear from God. And I believe it's a new day at First Baptist Tanner. But with that in mind, I want us to learn some truths about worship From this story this morning. You know I doubt anybody here is guilty of idol worship. I-D-O-L. I don't think any of us have little idols that we worship. Not figured. Not literally speaking. But I do think that it's possible for us to be guilty of idol worship. I-D-L-E worship. Vance Havner, a great preacher of yesteryear, you know when churches used to start at 11 o'clock, and some of them still do, but he made the comment, he said, you know, many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull, and uh, you know, I don't want us to be like that. Let's think for a few moments about the definition of worship. Now, the Hebrew word for worship is the Hebrew word shikah, which means to bow down. And then there's a New Testament word, the Greek word is proskaneo, and it comes from a compound Greek word, It is is two words, pros, preposition, which means towards, and kaneo is the word we get kiss from. And so the literal translation of the word worship in the New Testament is to kiss toward. What it's talking about is showing an expression of love. You've seen people kiss toward someone. I see it all the time at airports. You know, the family, some family member goes through security and the rest of the family standing on the other side of the glass from security. And just before they get out of sight, they'll, they'll kiss, they'll Kiss towards them. They're showing affection. They're showing love, and that's really where this word worship in the New Testament comes from. We get it from our English word, from the Anglo word worthship. Worship is what you do when you express or ascribe worth or value to something. H. A. Ironside made this statement. He said, "Worship is the expression of my response to an encounter." with God. And there's really two important words there. One is it's an expression, and the other is it's an encounter. The word worship is never used in the Bible as a noun. It's always used as a verb. Worship is not uh, it's not, you know, sometimes we use it in that uh, in our vernacular, we say where well, we're going to worship, or uh, what time does worship start? Or uh, don't want to be late for worship. And we use it like a noun. But the truth is you can come to a worship service and you may or may not worship Right, Because worship is an expression, it's an outward expression of an encounter with God. Worship is a verb. And there's many biblical examples of people expressing literally or physically or outwardly their encounter with God. I'm reminded of Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The Bible says that Isaiah fell down. And worship the Lord. There's a verse in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8 where Simon Peter had just caught a large amount of fish unexpectedly, and then he saw Jesus, who was really responsible for that miracle. And the Bible says Simon Peter fell down and worshiped. I'm reminded of John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation when he saw Jesus walking around through the golden candlesticks, and the Bible says John fell down. He expressed, in other words, there was a visible expression, there was some expression of an encounter with God. But what we have in John chapter 12 is a demonstration of worship. And and when you look at what happened between this lady named Mary and Jesus, here's the setting. Everyone was reclining around the table. That's the way uh, customarily that they would eat in the Middle East. And Mary apparently, while the men were eating in our story... Apparently she slips out and leaves for a little while and she comes back with an alabaster jar retoed in another gospel account and it has a seal upon it and she breaks the neck of that alabaster jar and she poured this very expensive perfume on Jesus. She poured it on his head and then she poured it on his feet when you compare the gospel accounts of this story when she poured that expensive perfume on his feet, she did something that probably would have made the other ladies in the room gasp with offense. Because Mary did something that was total improper as far as the mores of that society goes. She did not... She did something that was not proper protocol. She did something that was a breach of social etiquette. The Bible says she let her hair down. Now, women just didn't do that in the presence of other men in that, in that society, in that custom. But the Bible says she took her hair and she rubbed this perfume into and on the feet of the Lord Jesus. She breached social etiquette in doing that. You, you may know some people that from time to time, they do things that are not necessarily proper protocol. Uh, that happened in my house not long ago. I, uh, Becky breached social etiquette. <laughs> she did. I was sitting in my chair, my recliner. I had the remote control uh, which I normally keep firmly in the grasp of my hand. And I had set it on the armchair while I clasped my fingers and rested and relaxed for a moment. And she walked by and she broke protocol. She picked up the remote control and carried it over to her chair. I said, Becky, you just breached social etiquette. It didn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. that works. That would be confusing. Um, <laughs> but, but then she, she she did something wonderful. Mary did something wonderful. There's a couple of char- things that characterize what she did, and I believe it was an act of worship. I, I, I believe that there was unashamed adoration. You know, Mary had reason to want to worship Jesus because she had experienced the love of Jesus. And you know, when you've experienced the love of Jesus, you just want to worship him. I mean, you want to show that love for him. If you're in John 12, just flip over. I don't even know if I gave this to you, Tyler, but in John 11, verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister. His sister was Mary and Lazarus, or her sister was Mary. He, he loved Mary, Martha, Mary, and... Le- the Bible specifically says that. That's a pretty cool verse. Wouldn't you like to be in the New Testament where it specifically says Jesus loved you by name? Well, I got to tell you, all throughout the New Testament, the Bible says Jesus loves you individually. And the Bible says we love God because God first loved us. And really, when you boil it all down, worship is just returning the love. Jesus loved us. We have a reason to love him back and 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 so there was just this unashamed adoration in Mary because Mary Martha and Lazarus they were the closest thing to a family that Jesus had Bethany was the closest place to a home that he had and she had this unashamed adoration but then there was this unaffected humility And and I want to tell you, the reason some people really do not openly express their worship is because they are afraid of what other people may say. They don't want to risk embarrassment. You know, it could be that some people do not sing because they're afraid of what other people may say. It could be that some people do not join the choir, the worship choir. Because they're afraid of what other people may say or think. I just want to say, if you come to worship more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks of, your, of, of you, then you're really not worshiping anyway. And when Mary took her hair down, she didn't care if it was a breach of social etiquette. The Bible says she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was loving Jesus. She was learning From Jesus. And then she had this incredibly unselfish sacrifice. Go back to John 12 and look in verse 5. It was pointed out that this ointment was worth 300 pence. You know how much a pence was in that day? It, It was equal to denarii. And one pence or one denarii is what one man working one day made. So there were 300, this this ointment was worth 300 denarii. One denarii was the value of labor for one day. And this this was worth 300. Now you do the math. If you take out the Sabbaths and, and some of the feast days, this was the equivalent of one year salary. This was an incredibly expensive perfume. It was a very rare spice that came from the Himalayans of North India. And it was often used for embalming. They would soak burial clothes in it, but they used it for all types of events, for weddings, for special occasions. But it was also used in the burial process. That's why Jesus made a reference to the fact that Uh, let her alone against, she's done this against the day of my, or for the day of my burial. She has kept this. So there was a a prophetic truth in what what Mary had done here. Because they would would soak the the burial cloth in, in this ointment. But the question comes to my mind, what was she doing with it? I mean, it was worth a year's salary. It was incredibly expensive. Maybe it was an inheritance. Maybe she was saving it for her own burial, or maybe she was saving it for her wedding. You know, sometimes worship is spontaneous, but I get the picture from this story that this act of worship was not necessarily spontaneous because we're told that they were not in Mary's house. They were in the house of Simon the leper, which means that Mary had to retrieve it from her house or that she had brought it with her from her house To a neighbor's house. In other words, the point I'm making is Mary didn't just carry this around. This was probably the most valuable item that she had. She probably kept it, you know, in a very safe, secure place. Maybe a secret place. Maybe she was the only one that knew where she kept it. I mean, she protected this. This was precious to her. But she came to the house of Simon the leper prepared to do something incredible. In her worship of Jesus. In other words, she didn't wait to see how she was going to feel when she got there. One of the truths I learn about worship from this story is this, church. Sometimes it takes effort. Sometimes it involves sacrifice. I I know sometimes worship is just spontaneous. But but I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with preparing for worship. It requires sometimes preparation. Mary made preparation. I'm amazed at people who make worship experiences so optional, especially corporate worship experiences when the Bible says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You have to plan in advance if you want the full opportunity to express your worship to the Lord. You have to plan. You know, I've made that a practice over the years. I plan Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon for Sunday. Now, I'm a little different than you because I plan all week long. Sometimes I plan months in advance. But I still, even though my sermon's prepared and everything's ready, I, I Becky will tell you, I don't do, I do very few social events on Saturday night occasionally I might go out with some friends or something, but that is rare, just a handful of times, if that many, a year. I protect Saturday night. You know why I protect Saturday night? Because I got to go to church Sunday morning. I don't watch a movie that lasts till one o'clock in the morning on Saturday night because I got to get up and go to church on Sunday. I guard my time. When I was a little kid, my dad taught me this. You know what we used to do? We had a ritual on Saturday nights. You know what daddy made us do every Saturday night? We had to shine our shoes. He did what? Watch Lawrence Welk. Well, Yeah, after Lawrence Welk. We did that. We did do that. But during gun smoke, you remember? Saturday night, during gun smoke, we, we, Daddy made us get our shoes out and shine our shoes. Even if they didn't need it, we had to shine them because we were going to church tomorrow. And we got our offering envelopes ready. Mama made sure we... You know, knew what we were going to wear the next one. In other words, there was some preparation involved. Today, people are just so lackadaisical. Well, if I sleep late, if I sleep in, I don't guess I'll go. Or, you know, if I don't feel good, if it's raining or cloudy or whatever. Worship was intentional with Mary. It was expensive. It was extravagant. It reminds me of what David said when he said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. But now let me tell you some truths real quick about this. The Bible says, go to Matthew 26. There is another account of this same story in Matthew chapter 26. And look, if you will, in verse 10. This is just picking up in the middle of the story, same story. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please God. That's what Jesus said about Mary's act of worship. This has pleased, pleased me. She's done a good thing for me. You know, I learned a long time ago, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease, and if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. You know that? And this, is, this was something that was pleasing to the Lord. She blessed the Lord. You know, I know some people come to worship. They come to church To get a blessing, and and you do. I mean, that's just a byproduct of, of being around believers and praying and hearing God's word and singing, and you get a blessing. But that's not the motive behind why we go. In fact, the reason we go to worship ought to be to be a blessing, not to get a blessing. And if you'll come to be a blessing to other people, if that will be your motive, I'm going to church today because I want to be a blessing to someone. I want to engage with them. You know, you could pass somebody in the hall or in the fellowship time or or in the parking lot and and you may find out some need that they have. There there might be this koinonia of fellowship where you understand that that you can minister to someone just by a word of encouragement or uh, 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 prayer support. Every now and then I hear people say, well, I just didn't get anything out of the service today. And I want to say, what did you put into it? Did you prepare? We talked in Sunday school this morning about that verse in Matthew where Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. Did you come hungering and thirsting after righteousness this morning? If you did, Jesus promised he would fill you. You'll get something from this. But every now and then people say, well, I just didn't get anything out of it. You know, that really doesn't bother me so much when I hear people say that. If you think saying that, you know, solicit sympathy from me, it really doesn't. I'll tell you what would bother me is if Jesus were to say, I didn't get anything out of that service today. Because remember this, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, Worship is not a spectator sport. We, You are not the spectators of worship watching Rex and the praise team and the choir and everything. Worship is participation. And sometimes we go to church like people go to football games. I heard somebody say at a football game, there are 22 men on the field who desperately need rest and there are 50,000 people in the stands that desperately need exercise. <laughs> And i tell you something else. Mary understood a truth that everybody else missed. Look in Matthew 26, verse 12. He said, for in, this, in, for in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did so for my burial. Mary got the point. The disciples, they, they sort of missed the point. She had been listening to Jesus. He had been telling them he was going to die for their sins, and she understood that. And as she was worshiping him, she took this ointment, this perfume that was normally used for burial, and she anointed him with that. And by the way, on Easter Sunday, when all of the women were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, you remember that? Guess who wasn't with that group of ladies? You can read the story. You know, all of the ladies that had a connection with Jesus were going to the tomb, but Mary wasn't. She wasn't in that group. You know why? She had already anointed him. She had already prepared him. She did it when he could appreciate it. And by the way, there's just a, a whole nother sermon there. Folks, love people while they can appreciate it. I've gone to so many funeral homes over the years, and you know, I've seen people regret, not certain things they didn't say, they didn't do. I've seen the flowers from some, some flowers are there because of loving, meaningful relationships and people are honoring the one. But I've seen others that that was sort of there trying to make amends. Do it when people love people, <coughs> excuse me, when they can appreciate it. But here's, some more. here's something else. Worship blesses the Lord. Worship affects other people. Now, folks, that's not our goal. But listen. When that ointment, when that perfume was broken and poured out on Jesus, the Bible says the aroma filled the room. Everybody in the room could smell it. Everybody was affected by it. Some were affected positively and some were affected negatively, but everybody was affected by it. You know, an aroma, a strong aroma like that, has a way of filling the room. And they made no distinction in that day. Between perfume and cologne, uh, men and women would wear the same fragrance often. There was there was no distinction. Like today, we have women wear perfume and men wear cologne. But all cologne is is a perfume for men, right? And most guys, you know, they they don't necessarily want to smell like a lady, and a lady doesn't want to smell like a man. Over thirty years ago, Rex Looney and I were doing a revival together in upstate New York. And, um, and and Becky was with us, and we were going to... Uh, uh, we had taken an excursion one day to go see Niagara Falls. We were not that far, a couple hours away. But uh, we were going to go see Niagara Falls. And we made a stop on the way... Um, at a drugstore or some kind of... I don't even remember now what kind of store it was, but but they had little samples of perfume. Now, I don't know what got into Rex Looney's brain that day. But while we were in that store, and this is on the way to Niagara Falls, Rex picks up one of those sample perfumes, and he turns to me, and he goes... And it was like a fire hydrant. I mean, it was like a fire extinguisher, the way that perfume came out. And I'm telling you, it affected us. It affected me really bad, but it affected. We, I was wearing this, We had to put my sweater in the trunk of the car. <laughs> and I turned to Rex, and I said something to the effect. That was the most, well, I'm going to just say that was the most immature, or stupid thing you've ever done. <laughs> That's sort of the way I said it. That's a true story. But my point is, it has a way of affecting other people. It can affect them positively. It can affect them negatively. Now, positively, let me tell you, when you're singing, when you're worshiping the Lord, uh, when you're clapping, when you're raising your hands, when you're closing your eyes, when you're in meditation, whatever your expression, I want to tell you, that has an effect on other people. There's something about, let me tell you, there's something about genuine, pure worship that is contagious. It makes others want to participate and to get involved. When you say amen, it helps other people. You know, when people come to our church and they see you singing and they see you praying and they see you participating... In whatever way you do it. I want to tell you, when they see you do that church, you know what they're thinking? If we have a lost person or a guest come to our church, they're thinking, these people believe what they are hearing. They believe the word. They believe in the Lord. They're sincere. But it can also affect people negatively. So you had some disciples saying, well, why did she waste that? It was so expensive. Can you imagine being criticized for worship? Now, if it's disruptive or if it's not genuine, the Lord will deal with that. And if it's too disruptive, I'll deal with that. But that's not a problem. Listen, I've never really had a problem trying to cool people off as I have trying to fire them up. You know what I'm saying? Let me encourage you not to be critical of genuine worship even if it's different from the way you worship. And I want to say, if you feel led to raise your hands and to worship God, please do. And and I want to say, don't church ever be critical of somebody who worships different than you do. And I want to say, if you raise your hands and worship God that way, I want to say to you, don't be critical of those that don't. Just worship God however you feel. Mary could care less that those disciples were over there going, she's wasting that, it's so expensive. You know what she was doing? She was focused on one thing. She was anointing Jesus, worshiping the Lord. Let's take a quick Bible excursion. I'm going to need your help, Tyler. Let's put it on the screen quick. You can do it quicker probably than I can. Uh, by looking it all up, but I'm going to try. Psalm 134 and verse 2. Um, listen to this Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Go to Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And that's perfume, by the way. Did you know when you praise the Lord, it's like a sweet aroma to the Lord? and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. It's biblical when people raise their hands in worship. I just want you to know that. Look in Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And sometimes we go to church and we say, well, we shouldn't clap in church. Let me tell you something. It's biblical. Go to Psalm 95 and verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I think we, you know, it's good when we can kneel together. Sometimes logistically, it's not conducive for that, but we do here at the altar from time to time. It's biblical to worship the Lord. In other words, let me tell you, some people are more emotional, some people, just their personality, they're more expressive. Some people are more contemplative in their worship. The point is, what I believe God's saying is people just worship differently. In whatever way that sort of is you and, and, and God gives you a peace about, it's okay. It also said in Psalm 47, one shout unto the Lord. And we don't have time to turn there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they brought the uh, Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, it said that David danced before the Lord. He worshiped the Lord by dancing. And he didn't just dance. The Bible says he danced with all his might. Do you want me to show you what it looks like to dance before the Lord? Well, you'll just have to use your imagination. (laughs) But let me tell you the different ways that people worship the Lord. We don't have time to see. Look all these verses up. Ephesians 5, 9. The Bible says, sing unto the Lord. That's one of the most common commandments in Scripture. It's one of the most common ways people express worship is by singing to the Lord. And whenever you sing, it does affect others. And and listen, church, I I would love to see this choir law full. If God's dealing in your heart to be a part of our worship choir, whether you're a a young adult, a middle adult, older adult, a college student, if God is leading you to be a part of it, that, listen, the choir, when they sing, and choir, I want to tell you, you affect us. And that's when you, you know, when you smile, we have a tendency to smile. When you're worshiping and we see that, it creates a desire for us to worship. Now, if you're just sitting up there, you know, that has an effect on us too. Because y'all know my heart, and I've never been interested in a performance because we're not spectators and performers. We're all participants in worship. And I tell you something else, church, you have an effect on the choir. Did you know that? That aroma fills the room and it it affects everyone. Ephesians 5.19 says we can worship the Lord by singing. Romans 12.12 1, 2 says we worship the Lord through our personal commitment. Psalm 95, 6 says we worship the Lord by praying. John 17, verse 17 says we can worship the Lord by hearing and listening to God's word being taught. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2 says we worship the Lord by giving. When we give our offering, we are worshiping the Lord. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4 says we worship the Lord when we have baptism. The Bible says in Habakkuk two twenty we worship the Lord by meditating. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 and 26, when we participate in the Lord's Supper. Over and over, the Bible instructs us in all these variety of ways to worship the Lord. Did you know God is honored by variety, I believe? I mean, God, he, he, he likes variety. He likes freshness. If you don't think God loves variety, look at his creation. There are different kinds of stars and planets. There are different kinds of trees and flowers. There are different kinds of lakes and mountains. There are different kinds of people. God delights in variety. Now, if God likes variety, and, and I believe he does... Don't you think he likes a variety in music and singing as well? (sighs) Did you know six times in the book of Psalms and two times in the book of Revelation, the Bible explicitly commands us to sing a new song unto the Lord? Now, some people, they have a problem with a new song. It says in Revelation, we're going to sing a new song when we get to heaven. If you've got a problem with new songs down here, you're going to have a whole lot of problem with new songs when you get to heaven. So occasionally, we sing some of the newer, you know, we say contemporary. and You know, different people, are they're blessed by different styles of music. And I'm delighted to see people who come, younger people, they like sort of the newer music and the young couples and that sort of thing. And and don't ever be critical of that. Don't be afraid to sing a new song unto the Lord. The Bible says, that's biblical. Try something different. God likes variety. But now I'm equally convinced that we should teach our young people some of our old hymns, many of them written hundreds and hundreds of years ago that have stood the test of time. They teach great doctrine. They connect this generation with the older generation. I think that's important, that connection. Baptism does the same thing. Do you know my great-great-granddaddy, who was a believer, got baptized? I got baptized. I got connected to my great-great-great-granddaddy through baptism. My great-great-great-granddaddy participated in the Lord's Supper. Do you know the Lord's Supper connects generations? Because my grandparents going all the way back to the days of Jesus, (laughs) whoever they may be, it connects me with them. Hymns, hymns can do the same thing. It, 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 can, it can connect generations. So in our church, we're, we're going to sing, and, and Rex knows my heart here, that we're going to have a blended service where we're going to sing some more newer songs and we're going to sing some of the older hymns just like we did today. We sang at Calvary and, and we do that almost every Sunday. But some of the great hymns of our faith, and we may have to learn them again Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. A mighty fortress is our God. What a friend we have in Jesus. When I survey the wondrous cross, come thou fount of every blessing, rock of ages, cleft for me. Great is thy faithfulness. God loves variety. Doesn't have to be all new, doesn't have to be all old. When Martin Luther, by the way, wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, did you know he put the tune of that song to the melody of a song that they sang in the nightclubs and the pubs and the bars of his day? He wrote beautiful words What a Mighty Fortress is Our God! And the only tune he could come up with that would fit the words he wrote was something that they sang in the nightclubs. Can you imagine what the church folk thought? Did you know that was a new song one day? One day, over a hundred years ago, they sang, What a Mighty Fortress is Our God. And folks in the church are going, I ain't going to that church singing them new songs. Sing like the people in the bars and the nightclubs. And it's one of our most cherished hymns today. Real worship pleases the Lord. It affects others. And it results in a blessing. You know, there's no way she could have put that perfume on Jesus without some of it getting on her. And for a while, it's her, it was on her hair. And for a while, everywhere she went, everywhere Jesus went and everywhere she went, Folks were saying, "Who you've been around Jesus?" <laughs> and and that's what real worship does. And let me tell you what a blessing. I'm, I'm going to close with this verse, but I want to tell you what a blessing that sincere act of genuine, heartfelt love that Mary had for Jesus. It was a, it was her expression, of uh, her expression of her love for Jesus. I want to show you what a blessing it was. I want you to look. This is last verse. Matthew 26, verse 13. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, in the whole world, there shall also this, that what this woman has done, be told for a memorial of her. He didn't say that about anybody else in the Bible. But because he was so pleased with this pure act of worship, he said wherever this gospel is preached, we're 6,000 miles away from Simon's, the leper's house in Bethany. We're hundreds, centuries and centuries, millennial, away from when this act happened. And here we are talking about what she did. Just like Jesus said. Real worship blesses others. It blesses you. That's not our motive, but it is true. The real motive is it blesses the Lord. So God help us to be a church that's balanced, that's wholesome, that's loving, that's authentic, that's genuine. And as God leads, let's worship him.